Welcome to the Beers and Bible Podcast, a podcast that explores God's Word while enjoying the fruits of God's creation. You can find us on Instagram at Beers and Bible underscore, on Facebook by searching Beers and Bible Podcast, and on Twitter at Beers and Bible P1. You can also email us at Beers and Bible Podcast at gmail.com. If you enjoy what you hear on Beers and Bible, please consider leaving a five-star rating and a review on your podcast platform to help us promote this podcast. Billy Currington summed it up well when he said, God is great, beer is good, and people are crazy. So let us join our hosts, Michael and Anthony, for this week's discussion. Welcome to episode number 122 of the Beers and Bible Podcast. I am Michael. And I am Anthony, and we are glad to have another week to sit down, relax, enjoy some beer, talk about Bible, kind of like Bible-ish things tonight. I think the next couple of weeks we're going to be a little topical. Yeah, this is, um, what's the, what's the term? Not, it's like a Bible adjacent. <laughs> I'm just going to say Bible-ish. <laughs> Bible adjacent. That's what we're talking about tonight. Um, yeah, we're, we're into this kind of this uh, in-between uh, season of the podcast here, um, going through some different things and getting ready for the summer. Uh, we talked about our schedule last week or the week before. It, it all mm-hmm. runs together for us. So sorry. So <laughs> sorry if you're like, y'all didn't do that last week. Um, so yeah, we're kind of in this in-between season right now and, um, getting ready for, um, what's coming up in the summer and we're preparing and trying to get all of our ducks in a row for that. It's going to be a fun summer. It is. It's going to be fun for a lot of reasons. Um, but in the meantime, we're going to continue to have something to discuss and tonight we have a really fun topic, I think. Um, (laughs) Yeah, it's going to be a fun one tonight. uh, So this is, uh, releasing, um, release date is April 8th. Um, yeah. So we, you know, when this releases, it'll be about a week out from some of the craziness that happened today, um, mm-hmm. and we'll talk about that here a little bit later. But before we get into that and our beer review, Anthony, how you doing, man? What's going on? Whoo, man, I am good. It has been it's been a fast week. Of course, it's uh it's the end of the month for me. Um, what I do, uh, the end of the month is always really really busy, mm-hmm. and so I was wrapping all that up today, cleaning, ending my monthly stuff and kind of closing out stuff and getting ready for to start a new month tomorrow so tomorrow is april fool's day we do have an episode dropping tomorrow mm-hmm. so no april fools no uh, no joke for you guys that. we should have done something that would have been fun oh that would have been really fun so you know Whatever. that's what's been going on with us what about you guys Dude, same boat man uh work's been pretty busy this week um back to the regular uh grinds with the sales team not in the office you know <laughs> no extra people no extra people to distract us um we're going through a lot of um we're trying to do some aesthetic things around the office just update mm-hmm. some things um and uh let's see since the last time we recorded my wife and i went and saw um nate bargatze oh yeah that's right um, how was that he was hilarious he is m- maybe the funniest comedian on the face of the planet nice and it, i mean the fox is the fox theater in atlanta is great um, that, you know, me and my wife enjoyed a little date night getaway, um, and, uh, just had fun with that. And, uh, I mean, this week's been 
been ready. You know, been fine. Not been ready. That's a weird way to say it. Um, <laughs> this week, this week's been fine. Just back to the usual, usual thing. And like you said, tomorrow's yeah. April first, and mm-hmm. um, moving into the second quarter of the fiscal year. Ooh, yes, there's some there's some big words for you. <laughs> Whoa, um, now this is not a business podcast. It sound like a businessman <laughs> talking about that. Um, no, but things are good, and um, you know, my wife is ready to be done being pregnant <laughs> and we've still got two months left so or eight weeks however you want to look at that so but we're good this is um, that magic time yeah that magic time where nothing is right and everything is wrong um no everything's fine we're we're just ready for the arrival of our of our little one and uh nice you know we'll keep keep doing podcasts as long as uh as, as long as there's beer to drink, we're going to do a podcast. And the way some of the stores around here have it, I may never run out of beer. So yeah, I wish I wish uh, South Alabama would get on the the train wagon of better so, beers because I'm beginning to run out of beer. How far is it for you to drive to either Mississippi or Florida? Um, technically, I could make it to Mississippi and Florida in about an hour to each to the state line. Mm. I'm about an hour from each state that's line. That's not really worth it then. I mean, that's a two-hour round trip if there's a package store right on the line. Yeah, which there is a really good package store, but they don't carry a lot of beer. They basically carry the big box stuff, and they have a really good liquor selection. Gotcha. Well, and that's it. That's less than ideal and not what yes, we're it doing is. here. <laughs> Oh, what well. we need is for subscription companies to come into Alabama, and we need Alabama to change their crappy beer laws is what we actually need, but, you know. Until we do that, nothing will change. Yep. Alabama will continue to be terrible when it comes to beer. Well, since you mentioned uh, big box beer, and since you're kind of reviewing one tonight, let's let's get into I our am. beer review. What are you drinking? So tonight, it's it's a seasonal beer, and this is probably the biggest of big box that we've done. Um, this is from the Abita Beer Company, and this is the Gulf Coast Cerveza, and it is called Barracuda. Um, it's a lager. It's just a traditional standard lager. So I'm, I'm hoping this thing's just going to be regular. I do like lagers for the most part. Mm-hmm. Um, Yingling is one of my favorites. Yep. This is more of a pale light lager. Um, but it says, despite its ferocious behavior and appearance, the Barracuda is a perfect to sip on when relaxing in or out of the water. This crisp Gulf Coast Cerveza will cool you off even on the hottest of days. So get ready to set the hook with this refreshing brew. So, it, I mean, it could be it could be surprisingly good. Um, I'm re- I'm really not expecting anything more than like a Yingling or a just a standard beer. I actually went and looked for limes because I was thinking this was going to be a Mexican style lager, mm-hmm. and and those are always better with limes in them. So, but I didn't have a lime, so I'm just going to oh, drink it straight. That's that's a sad day for you. Yes, it is. So, what are you drinking tonight? So tonight I am drinking from the where was it? Somewhere in Colorado. Odyssey Beer Works uh, Brewing Company in Arvada, Colorado. So, uh, beer drop again with the Colorado beers. <laughs> um, I have the Light Bright Peach Sour Ale. Um, comes in Ooh, I at, bet you're going to like this one. Um, the can says 4.5 ABV, and then this website says 5.5, so I'm not really sure which to believe. We'll average them out and say 5. We'll average out and say 5. So, it's a peach <laughs> mango tart. Um, the can is really cool. It's got like a light, bright looking peach on the can. Um, mm-hmm. And like Anthony said, it's a sour. I'm I'm all in on sours. 
And I, I like peach stuff too. That uh, that one peach beer we had a while oh, yeah, from UFO. back. Um, gosh, I want to find that again. That was so good. Um, that was one of the better beers we've had on the podcast. So mm-hmm. I'm excited about this one. I'm hoping that we're kind of on up and up on my beer drop stuff because the last few weeks have been kind of disappointing. Yeah. Um, and uh, I th- but I think maybe tonight. Uh, maybe tonight we'll we'll have a have a really good beer here. So the tables um, are turning. I hope so. Ha- my my, how the turntables. Um, <laughs> so tonight I was thinking about it when I saw your beer. You have a bottle. I do have a bottle. Yeah, it's the first time in a long time that we've we, had a bottle. Neither of us have done a bottle in a hot minute. Yeah. So it's been a while. We used to be exclusively bottles. Yeah. For a while. Yeah. But then we went to cans and cans are just. Uh, they're easier. Kids are easier. They're easier. They're more. Uh, they're more fun for me. I think. Uh-huh. I don't know why. But anyway, let's crack open our beers and get to drinking. Um, let's do it. I have to get my because it's not even a twist top bottle. It's a pop. Oh, it's a. So it's a man's bottle. Is what you're saying? That's right. It's a man's bottle. Here we go. Three, two, one. Crack. Did it actually pop? I didn't hear yours open. Yeah, it did. Um, it spewed a little. Oh. I got, I got to use my cap gun. I haven't used my cap gun in forever. Oh, God. I forgot how to pour beer. I was trying to do that cool thing that you see on like Instagram with sodas, where if you pour it really fast but put the can down, it won't overflow. Oh, yeah. I was a 1,000% sure my beer was going to overflow, so I stopped that <laughs> immediately. <laughs> Um, I did spill some like on my pants in my oh, hands, sad day. <laughs> but I think that's just because of the, but dude, this is a, oh wow. That looks good. Yeah. I'm excited. Mine's just regular. Yours just looks like a beer. <laughs> um, ooh, that smells like a peach. Ooh, I have, I'm having high hopes for yours. I have high hopes for mine as well. All right. Well, let's so. get to drinking because they ain't going to drink themselves. No, they're not. Here we go. Bottoms up. Cheers. I'm going to let you take a minute. I'm going to go ahead and go. Okay. Because this one's easy. This is a this is a three three and a half. I'll give it three and a half. If I had a lime, it would be a little bit better. Okay. Um, this is this is a good standard run of the mill. I mean, honestly, for what they put it forth as, just a light crisp beer. It's I mean it's it's spot on for that. Mm-hmm. So, um, it's just I mean there's nothing spectacular about it. There's nothing great. So it's just not going to get uh, you know four or five Luther beer review there. The flavor's good. The texture's good. It is, I mean, it's a good lager. Um, it would be better with a lime in it. I think I already said that. It would be better with a lime in it. Um, mm-hmm. So I think this is, it does taste a little, it's got that, it's, um, I'm trying to, it's like a Dos not a Dos Equis. Um, oh, I can't remember. Modelo. It's like a Modelo. Okay. It's what this is very similar to. So it's got good flavor. Mm-hmm. The thing I like about um, the Mexican style lagers over a kind of a traditional American lager is they seem to be a little more rich in flavor. Mm-hmm. Um, and so when you add that lime, it kind of brings it out. Um, I've always, I want, maybe I should try putting limes in American lagers. Maybe it'll make them taste better. But anyway, side thought. Um, 
three and a half Luthers, I think, nails this one right on. That's about as high as I've, I was expecting it to get. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a good beer. I'm not upset that I have five more. I may drink another one tonight. Um, but yeah, it's just uh, this is a good run of the mill, mm. just kind of middle of the road beer. So cool. three and a half for me. Well, on mine, the uh, the light bright peach sour ale thingy. Does yours have light brights on the can? I sure hope it does. Yes, it does. I nice. said that earlier. You did um, say that, and I, I wasn't listening. Sorry. So it has a really weird flavor. Um, not bad. It's just like in my head. Okay, so when you put a peach on the can, mm-hmm. I would expect it to taste more like peach. Mm-hmm. And there is some peach flavor here, but I'm getting a lot more of the mango flavor. Oh, okay. Um, which is really cool. Like I, I like mango flavor. Um, I think we've talked about it before. Mangoes are those. Mangoes are the fruit that you buy like once or twice a year, and then in three weeks throw away because you don't know what to do with it. Yes, you don't know how to peel it. You don't know how to. <laughs> you don't know how do you eat it. Like it, it's a it's a weird fruit, right? Um, but the flavor of this thing is really really good. Um, I mean the sou- the sour uh, flavor is pretty spot on. That traditional sour texture and flavor profile um i am because it's not as peachy as i was like it to be you know the mm-hmm. ufo peach the ufo peach we had was oh, like <laughs> it was like biting into a, a peach that had not been skinned like that's how yes. peach it was that one was so good it was it was amazing again i'm gonna have to go find it um but because it's not as peachy um Flavor is still very good, but I'm going to give this four Luthers. Four? Um, okay. I thought you were going to go four and a half there for well, a second. And, and <laughs> it, I mean, I, I, to me, if you're going to say you're a peach ale or a peach sour or whatever, and you put mm-hmm. a peach on the can, the first flavor I taste better be peach. Should be peach, yep. Now, if I get to the bottom of the glass and there's more peach at the bottom, I may come back and bump it, bump it a little bit. But for now, as it is... Mango forward, I'm going to say four out of five Luthers. You're saying that thing should be the mango peach, not the peach mango? Yeah. <laughs> nice. It's still good. I, I mean, tastes great. I, I'm kind of sad I only have one more. That's the only thing about beer drop is you can only get two at a time. <laughs> only get two, yeah. Unless you like special order a six-pack or something. but uh, Which is probably like 40 bucks. <laughs> yeah, it's... Yeah, I ain't doing that. But, I mean, still good. So, four out of five Luthers on the Light Bright Peach Sour Ale. Nice. Well, there you go. There's a couple of beers. A uh, standard down-the-road lager from Abita, the Biracuda. And then the Light Bright Peach Mango, which could be better named Mango Peach, but still good. Getting four and a half on that one. Four. So... Four, just kidding. I'm already, I'm already trying to upgrade Michael. <laughs> Four Luthers on that one. So tonight, um, tell you what, we're going to take a break, and then we're going to tell you what we're going to talk about when we get back. So stick around, and we will be back.
Welcome back to possibly what is going to be the spiciest episode of Beers and Bible Podcast that we have done in 122 episodes. It's going to be fun. We have a great topic tonight. We are going to be talking about staff covenants. Woo! Dun, dun, dun. Are they biblical? Do they work? Should your church use them? These are the questions. Maury, lead us in. No. <laughs> How dope, I feel would, like that, we just how dope would that be if Maury walked in and like, <laughs> all right, this is good. This, this. I'm, I'm Maury Povich, and our evidence shows that you are not the father. <laughs> oh, man. Do you, do, oh, you this, don't remember Maury Povich, I know do you? you I, I have seen him, but I feel like we're already getting off the rails. <laughs> we are. We got we to gotta keep this train on the rails are we tonight. Now? Uh, uh, one. Yeah, also, well, not quite one, so. Yeah. I'm going to go get another one here in a second, but so yeah, tonight we're going to talk about, um, staff covenants. It is, it's something, um, so a, a friend of ours sent us one, uh, sent me one and asked my thoughts on it. I shared it with Michael and we, we kind of had a little discussion about it and, you know, do we think they're good? Are we, are they profitable? Are they useless? Can they be helpful? There's a whole lot that goes into staff covenants, but um, to really get into the discussion, I think I think it's fair for us to set up where staff covenants come from, why people, why staff, uh, church staffs or church people would do them or sign them. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we're going to do like a super brief 2,000-year history of creeds and confessions. Are y'all ready for this? Great minds think alike. Um, no, so when uh, uh, what is a staff covenant? A staff covenant is basically an agreement between a church staff and a person on that staff. Yes. 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 Okay. It's so it's a commitment from the person that they're not that they're going to adhere to certain guidelines placed placed forth by the church. Exactly. Exactly. And so there has to be some type of precedent because these didn't just, you know, come out of nowhere. And so when we talk about staff covenants, you you can really trace these all the way back to creeds and confessions. Mm -hmm. And creeds and confessions were the statements that were issued, and they go all the way back to the founding of the church. You know, an example of, of like an original creed would be like the Apostles' Creed. Yeah. Um, you have the the Athanasian Creed, which defined the Trinity. You have the Nicene Creed, which really started to clarify some stuff on heresies. That's when the Arian heresy was coming into uh, prominence back in the in the early church, like three eighteen to three eighty one, was really the Arian heresy. Mm-hmm. And so, the Nicene Creed was this this statement that basically defined. Um, who the who God was, who Jesus was, and it was later clarified uh, at the Council of Chalcedon. So there's that, and then that led into um, confessions. Yeah. So creeds kind of developed into confessions. Yeah. Okay. So talk just a minute about confessions. Yeah. So confessions are these more comprehensive, fuller statements of belief. Um, Really, when you talk about the creeds, they they laid the foundation for like the core beliefs of yeah of Christianity, right? Um, when you get into confessions, they're going to be much more thorough, much more comprehensive. Think like think like precursors to like systematic theologies. Yes, is that would that be a fair statement to say? Confessions, that is, yeah. confessions are like 
creeds lead to confessions, confessions lead to concise like systematic theologies. Yeah. Yeah, they would be they would be very very short versions of systematic right. theologies. In fact, um, one of the most popular systematic theologies, which is uh, John Calvin's Institutes of the Christian Religion, started off as a pocket sized like confessional book mm-hmm. that you could carry around with you. That's right. the way it started, and now it's a you know thousand page right diatribe. Yeah. It's amazing. Right. So so <laughs> a lot of confessions were born out of the Protestant Reformation. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, the Augsburg Confession of 1527 that was written by Martin Luther and Philip Melanchthon. Melanch- M- Melanchthon is Melanchthon. the way I always say it. Um, <laughs> Philip, all Philly. Um, <laughs> so uh, he was but, a good guy. Yeah, good guy. So um, this is 28 articles of belief that cover um, many theological topics. Um, mm-hmm. You get into the Westminster Confession of 1646. Um, this is the dominant confession of Reformed Christianity when you and that is really like Presbyterianism. Um yeah. written mostly by pastors and theologians. Um then you have the Baptist Confession of Faith in sixteen eighty nine. Um this is the dominant confession of Reformed Baptists. Um and this is where we start getting the splits into um different denominations, right? Mm-hmm. Um this the the Baptist Confession differs from the Westminster Confession confession, um, and the Presbyterians on mostly ecclesiology and sacraments. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, there are some other minor differences, um, but but the the if you look at a Reformed Baptist church and a Presbyterian church, um, you know, how many times you take the Lord's Supper, mm-hmm. infant baptism versus believer's baptism, things like that are, are your main differences when it comes to Topics like soteriology, um, eschatology, mm-hmm. um, they do differ a little bit on their on their ecclesiology because um, Presbyterianism would be, they have a hierarchy, yeah. um, whereas Reformed Baptists would have local elders. So it's more of like a congregational version of, gotcha. of, uh, of the Presbyterianism or the Presbytery. Yeah. So. I'm just reading through the notes. I don't have all the background knowledge you do. Um, <laughs> And then uh, you have the Baptist faith and message, which looks, I mean, originally 1923 and then revised in 1968 and then again in 1998 yeah. and again in 2000. So yeah. um, like any old Baptist, they didn't know when to stop. Um, <laughs> but so this is, the, this is the statement of faith of the Southern Baptist Convention. Um, and I love this. It's commonly referred to as the Big Tent because it <laughs> seeks to bring several different theological camps together under the common goal of missions. Which, yep. if you've been a member of an SBC church, you know that missions is very is a very important focal point of mm-hmm. um, of of what they do there. Yeah. Yes. And did we what's, go fast enough through that? <laughs> we just went through like all of our notes because uh, because we're going to get into staff covenants, but but we did uh, we wanted to set that up and 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 uh, you know somebody may disagree with with my take on this. I kind of put all this together real real fast, but you know a statement of faith is essentially this is what we believe, mm-hmm. um, which is going to be a kind of a a modern version of a confession. Or a modern version of what we're going to talk about heavily tonight, which is which is staff covenants, yeah. and so you have this you have this thing that that church denominations are really built out of of different confessions, and so yeah. 
you have um, Methodism. You you really have the confessions of of uh, John Wesley, uh, Wesleyanism, Methodism. All of those are kind of linked together in a little tribe. You have Presbyterians that are kind of off on the side in their own little world. There, there's two different branches of Presbyterianism, and I'm not going to go into that tonight because there's it's it's crazy. And even even inside of Baptist, which is I mean I've been a Baptist my whole life. You have uh, independent fundamental Baptists, you have Southern Baptists, you have Northern Baptists, you have um, the CBF, I think is what it was when it split off from the SBC in like 1994 or somewhere around there. No, it was in the 80s. It was during the conservative resurgence, um, which is a more liberal version of Baptist. And so, you, you know, just because you drive by a Baptist church and it says, you know, um, City Baptist Church, or you know, whatever it is, mm-hmm. doesn't mean that that church is a Southern Baptist um, or a CBF church. They might be Reformed Baptist. Um, and so the way you're going to know what they believe is they're going to put on their website or in some type of literature when you go in, this is what we believe. You, you've yeah. seen those what we believe statements everywhere. That is essentially what a confession or a statement of faith actually is. Yeah. And so, like a statement of faith, um, really serves as a roadmap, right, for understanding what that denomination believes or what a certain group of believers believes. Um, yeah. It's the foundation from which um, everything that that church or that group or that ministry or whatever, it really is a foundation for everything they do, and it really should mm-hmm. – everything should flow out of that statement of faith. Yes, um, it should. And that can be really intimidating, especially if you're new to the church or you're you know you've come from one denomination to another, and some of the things from your old church are are not important at this new place. Yeah. Um. So that can definitely be intimidating and a little scary, but um, if I think it's important, if to I think it's important for us to point out, if you are if you feel called to be a part of something, mm-hmm. whatever that something is, if it, it, particularly like a church or a group, um, then if the leadership pre- presents some sort of something for mm-hmm. you to agree to, you should be willing to say, to prayerfully look at it, consider it, and say, if I want to continue being a part of this thing, then yes. Yeah. Not just to blindly agree with it, but like look over it, review it closely, and if there's anything in it that you're like blatantly like, no, I cannot be a part of this, and here's the thing why. Yeah. Um, and I think that's that's different for everybody. I think everybody has different. Um, yeah, I mean, different ways to everybody, process that. Yeah, everybody has. You have your own belief system. Okay. Yeah. Um, and it's okay that you have your own belief system. I have my own belief system, and Michael has his own belief system. And we can fellowship together, and we can host a podcast together, and we can do a lot of stuff together because of what we believe. But if I told Michael, you know, hey, Michael, um, I don't think, I don't believe that Jesus is the only way to get to heaven. I think Michael would probably have a serious reservation about continuing to do a podcast about, you know, the Bible with me. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, that it doesn't mean that we're like not friends anymore and we can't, you know, we can't be friends. It just means that we're hosting a podcast together and we both believe in 
the essentially, you know, in, in the essential things, we believe the same. Yeah, we believe what would be Orthodox Christianity. Um, there, there are probably some secondary and tertiary issues where we might differ. Um, call it things like women pastors or um, uh, eschatology, or you know, pick pick your random thing out of a, a systematic theology. But there's certain things that don't matter. You can differ on those, and it do, and it doesn't matter. Yeah, um, you, you can remain I, you can remain in fellowship with people, and even remain part of the same church if you don't, even if you don't necessarily agree on those secondary exactly. tertiary issues. Exactly. If, if the people around you. If you're disagreeing with them on what is considered primary, and mm-hmm. we've, we've talked about this before with the idea of um, is it spiritual triage, theological, theological triage. triage. So, yep. so we've we've talked about that before. If you're agreeing in the first degree in the primary, then the mm-hmm. second and third degree stuff is less important. If you are exactly. having issues with getting on the same page as far as the first degree stuff is concerned, then there needs to be some discussion or yeah something to determine if you want to continue being a part of that church, that ministry, yeah. whatever. Yeah. This thought concept comes from an article that a guy named Al Mohler wrote mm-hmm. uh, several years ago. And and the way he describes it, I think, is is a very, very wise thing. Uh, it's very well thought out. And, and what he says is, you know, the primary issues are gospel— centric issues mm-hmm. it affects the gospel and yep. we have to be together to call yourself a christian um we have to be together on primary issues these would be basic you know the essentials of the apostles creed you know if if you've been in fundamental churches they would call them the fundamentals of the faith mm-hmm. um there you know it's there's a, there's four or five doctrines yeah. that are key yeah, to being just, a christian it's just, to me i think of it as essentially like the life and work of Jesus it will fit will be that will be those things. Yeah. You believe in the miraculous conception, you believe in the virgin birth, you believe in the sinless life, you believe in his atoning right. his blood or his death is substitutionary sufi- atonement. Substitutionary atonement. You believe in the resurrection, you believe that he's coming back. You like those are the things that I was outside of that, I'm not sure what else is primary. I mean, uh, on that area, that that's really all that's primary to the gospel. Now, you can get into, and this is this is what Moeller does, is he says, these are primary, these are what it takes to be a Christian, mm-hmm. okay? Secondary issues are where you're going to differ on things like um, infant baptism versus believer's baptism. Um, should the Lord's Supper be, be taken with wine or with grape juice? Um, what do you believe about the hierarchy of the church? Uh, how should church structure be? These are going to be secondary issues, and while we can be Christians, we may disagree on secondary issues, and that but that means that we're not going to be at the same church or in the same denomination because we have fundamental differences about what the church actually is. Mm-hmm. And so, what what we would call ecclesiastical differences, and and so this means that I'm probably not going to attend I may I may visit or I may go to a Presbyterian church but I'm not going to willingly join a Presbyterian church because I know what Presbyterians believe and I don't affirm what Presbyterians believe that does right. not mean that Presbyterians are not Christians uh, and that doesn't mean that we can't work together for an event or something to push forward the gospel because we can all work together for the gospel but when it comes to 
um, ecclesiastical life, church life, I don't agree with Presbyterians, and so I'm not going to join a Presbyterian church. Right. That's secondary issues. And then tertiary issues are things like the second coming of Christ, eschatology. Um, Should we sing uh, hymns or modern stuff in worship? Um, Should the Jones Memorial carpet be red or green? These are all tertiary issues Mm -hmm. that, that say we can even be in the same church and we can have disagreements about these issues, but we can still be in fellowship together because on primary and secondary issues, we agree. It's these tertiary issues that don't really matter. And so it, it kind of paints this level of agreement. And it and it's not saying that because you disagree that one person is wrong. It just means that you're not going to be in that person's church. You're going to go to a separate church, and there's nothing wrong with that. Yeah. So where you're going to say something. Yeah, I was just I'm, – I'm sitting here thinking like I feel like the separation of – churches having Mm -hmm. so many churches to choose from with so many different backgrounds and so many different denominations. Um, I feel like that has really contributed to this mindset of like, if you're not here in our church, then you're not doing it right. Right. Oh, it absolutely has. And you know, if you're not, you know, if you're not a Baptist or if you're not a Methodist or if you're not a, if you're not a non-denom or like, if you're not a, if you're not a, if you're not with us, you're against us. I feel like that's the mentality of a lot mm-hmm. of churches. Not saying that's the mentality of all churches. Um, not saying that's the mentality of your church or whatever. But, like, I feel, gosh, I feel like we need to get to the point where we are looking at churches saying, do they preach mm-hmm. the gospel? Yeah. Do they minister to people who are in need do they take care of widows yeah. and orphans like do they do these things that are weird that churches are called to do yeah. in scripture <clears throat> and then we could talk about the baptism stuff or the sacraments yeah. we could talk about that stuff later but i'm i really wish we could be more focused on does this church preach the gospel of jesus yeah. not just well whatever. i mean re- remember what paul said in Philippians chapter one, you know, yeah, those guys are preaching out of the wrong reason, but you know what? They're still preaching Christ. So let them do it. Yeah. You know, Mm -hmm. we can disagree and that's fine. Yep. I I can say those guys have the wrong motives, but they're still preaching Christ. So let them preach. Yep. You know, and and if, if, if churches had that more, that mentality towards some of this stuff, then, then we would be in a lot different place. So, yeah, but we say all of that. To, to lead into our discussion for tonight, but but kind of walking into our discussion for tonight, we wanted to bring up, um, because they're, they announced uh, last week that the the group that we're a part of, we joined on with them, uh, I guess it was November of last year, November of 21. Um, there's a podcast group called the Recovering Fundamentalist Network, the Recovering Fundamentalist Podcast Network. Um, we met those guys. We actually went on, uh, did an interview with them about uh, talking about uh, alcohol and what the Bible says about alcohol. And it was a uh, it was a really fun discussion. Mm-hmm. Enjoyed getting to know those guys. And and since then, we've kind of partnered with them a little bit in their in their network. And something that they announced last week was uh, that they have introduced in and to be a part of their network, they want to they want you to affirm their statement of faith. They have mm-hmm. put out a statement of faith and they said they want you to affirm it. And yep. so 
Um, Michael and I read over it. Um, I felt like there needed to be a few tweaks, uh, and and I, I submitted those uh, gracefully. Uh, and I said, you know, these are not major tweaks, but I feel like this could be worded a little bit differently. Some of those were taken into account. Some of them were not. Yeah. Um, but, but at the end of the day, I read through the statement of faith as it was finalized, um, and I said, you know what? I can sign my name to this because I can say that I affirm this doctrinal statement. Yeah. Which is what they were trying to do. They were trying to set forth a doctrinal statement for their network because um, they they even let out a statement that that said, you know, this they want this ministry to be an extension of their their all three pastors, mm-hmm. um, and they want this uh, this network to be an extension of their pastorate. Yeah, and so. You know, again, go back to our discussion on why I would not join a Presbyterian church because of certain differences. They want the people who are in their network to affirm the same things that they would affirm. Yep. And so they don't want, you know, Mormons in their fundamentalist network. They don't want Buddhists right. in their fun in in their you in know their podcast RFP network. network. Yeah. And yeah. so they put it out there for for all of the podcasts to either affirm or not affirm. And um, Michael and I read through it and decided that we wanted to affirm it because we could affirm uh, in good conscience um, yeah. all of the stuff in their in their statement of faith. Yeah. So um, we we did that and and we wanted to to share that because we are going to continue in in the RFP network. Um, but that leads us into really kind of the crux of what we're going to talk about tonight, which is staff covenants. We said at the beginning, we're going to talk about staff covenants. And I said, somebody sent me a staff covenant and asked uh, my opinion on it. And and they asked what I thought about it. And I read through it. And there was some things that I agreed with, a lot of things that I agree with. There were some things that I didn't agree with. And, and so we're going to kind of breeze through this. We're not going to hit every point in here in this covenant. But but there are some things that we wanted to highlight and that we wanted to talk about. Yeah. Um, and so... I'm going to start off. I'm not. I'm not saying where this came from or who sent it to me. This is just a staff covenant, and I'm going to read it as it is, as it was sent to me, um, and and then we're just going to discuss it. The very first thing I think is a great starting point. Um, they they say I covenant to as a staff member of of this church. I covenant to, um, and the very first one is to submit to the authority of Scripture as the final arbiter on all issues, and a hundred percent. I think that is a fantastic place to start a staff covenant because yeah. you are setting the the precedent and you're setting the grounds for the authority in your church, which is going to be scripture. And, yeah. and, and so that's a fantastic place to do it. They, they make notes on one nineteen, uh, second Timothy, uh, second Peter chapter one, um, on, uh, on the authority of scripture. Yeah. And, and so I go with that. The next one is they want to pursue, pursue God in Bible reading, uh, and prayer, they basically want you to have a relationship with Christ. Yep. So 100% a, affirm that one. As a staff member of a church, that makes sense. I, I, I would agree with that. Yep. Um, um, what's the next one? Yes, yeah, so then to follow the command and example of Jesus by participating in the ordinances prescribed to his church, by being baptized after my conversion, and by regularly remembering and celebrating the personal work of Christ through communion. Again, nothing... Nothing at all. So no issues. With, this I is I don't have any issues with that. No, this is an interesting one though, because if a if a Presbyterian wanted to join this church's staff, that statement right there would would necessarily preclude them, because Presbyterians do infant baptism. Mm, yep. 
And so, you know, they're saying they believe in believer's baptism. So either that that person would have to say, in good conscience, I can affirm believer's baptism, uh, or I can't. And if they yeah. can't, and then, then they would they would be precluded from signing this. So right. it's not a problem, but it right. definitely shows where they stand. Yeah. It, it also doesn't, like, so it says regularly remembering. Like, how often uh-huh. is regularly? Is that weekly? Is that monthly? Right. Is it quarterly? Is it once a year? Is it every day? Is it day and night? Like, like how regularly <laughs> am I supposed to be? Yeah. You know, Some churches do communion? it differently. Yeah. And, and that's just, I mean, yeah. 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 They just so, do it differently. Yep. Yes, they do. The next one is to regularly participate in the life of the church by, um, you know, and then they kind of list out their their ministry goals there, uh, and I'm not I'm not going to read those. But um, again, if you're a staff member, uh, and and I think I don't know who all signed this um, or who all they're expecting to sign this, but I wouldn't expect a janitor to sign this because a janitor does not necessarily have to participate in the church. They may go to another church. Um, but if you're an office staff member, I would say yes, you should probably be held to this this standard right here. Yeah. Um, I don't know where I would draw the line. You know, secretaries, should secretaries do that? I don't know. That's that's an iffy area for me. Yeah, that's um, get, like it's really gray really fast because yeah. as a, like, your pastors, your directors, mm-hmm. um, people who are part of your production staff or worship staff, like, should definitely yeah. be attending the church that they're working Absolutely. for. It's kind of hard to run, you know, call camera shots from yeah. the church down the street. Um, if you're the receptionist, it's a different story, right? If you're answering you know, calls Monday through Friday, you sh- I mean, I kind of agree with you. You should at least have the option to go to another church, or if you're yeah. at another church and start working there, you shouldn't be required to start going there. Exactly. So that maybe that one's a little bit iffy, but but you know, there there's that one. The next one is is kind of fun to me. Um, it says to steward the resources God has given me. Uh, including time, talent, spiritual gifts, and finances, I will give a minimum of 10% of my income to God's work uh, at the church. Uh, This commitment will also include regular financial generosity, service, and participation in community that is sacrificial, cheerful, and voluntary. Um, This is an interesting one to me because of the way that it is worded. Um, A few weeks ago, I went on a, a slight tear about church pastors who abuse their staff. Mm-hmm. And this statement right here reeks of, and I'm not, I'm not saying it does, but it reeks of the possibility of staff abuse. Because yeah. you are putting strict definitions on how much money they should be giving, mm-hmm. how much time they should be giving up, and that they should sacrificially, cheerfully, and voluntarily do these things. It, it's it's hard to to put down on paper that you as a staff member is expected to do something, mm-hmm. and that you're also expected to volunteer to do this thing that you're expected to do on paper. That's Does that right. Sense? Like like yeah, it's it's hard to volunteer to do something you're required to do. Exactly, and and so. This, this and this is exactly the point I was getting at. When you have a staff member who works forty-ish hours a week at their nine to five, eight to five, whatever it is, job, and then you have Wednesday night this and Tuesday night that and Friday night this and Sunday event this and 
um, you know, weekend event that it easily becomes that sixty hours member, quick. That's right, and that 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 becomes a sixty to seventy hour work job because they're having to be there for whatever event. Yeah, they're working it, they're doing it, and that leads to burnout. Yeah, and having filled these shoes, and I'm sure Anthony could attribute this, could say this too, by having to do the week, the day to day job. And then mm-hmm. also having to do the extra stuff, the Sunday morning. Like, Sunday mornings, it's not extra. It's the main part of your job, but it's still yeah. not part of your regular thing, whatever. Um, right. Doing the all the other events, the Wednesday night stuff, like, that robs the cheerfulness and the, mm-hmm. like, that, that robs that from you. That yeah. robs that feeling of, like, they're, like, toward the end of my time on staff, I lost that I get to do this and... It's, yeah. It became more of a, I, I have to do this. I have to do yeah. Um And so, and I'm not saying that if you're not burnt out, great. You know, if you can, if you can do it, awesome. But if mm-hmm. you're, if you're not giving your church staff the opportunity to recharge on their own or to yeah. just be at church on a Sunday and not have to think about anything other than just going to church with their spouse or going to small group, right. or worshiping or whatever, um, then you're doing that person to the service and they're it's it's gonna be not end well for, for anybody. That's it's it's not, and that's what leads to burnout and that's yep. what leads to people feeling like they've been abused by the church. Yep. And so this this line, while I understand why they would put that statement in there, I just I take serious issue with the statement. Number one, because they're defining how much money that person should be giving to the church. Mm-hmm. Um you Which, know it, I mean is not found in the New Testament. It's not. If you want to go New Testament, you should give it all. But you know, do, if you want to say we have uh, we have a a expectation of ten percent, but we're willing to give, you know, we're willing to say that God could lead people elsewhere. Because here's the thing: I give ten percent of my income, but not all of that ten percent goes to the church. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I support directly missionaries on the field sharing the gospel with people. Um, I do, and and it, I mean, realistically, even giving ten percent is sacrificial out of my budget because, man, I could do a lot with that ten percent. Right. Even if I just took five percent of that back, I could do a lot. Right. You know, but but I think that it has to be the the foundation for for giving in the New Testament has to be giving from a cheerful heart, giving generously, and and the other thing is there's a lot of people who may not be able to give ten percent of their money, but they have the ability to give. A lot of time, right? And so they'll just give time after time, and they'll serve and they'll serve, and they they give to other areas of the church. Yeah. If you grade people off the money they give, then you end up with the rich people in the church running the church. Yeah. So, which is that, a, that's which, yeah, and that's a dangerous place to be because yes, any, it is. When you want to make changes, then it's it's almost like you have to run those changes through the exactly. big givers. Um, yeah, and that's, and, and that's no big way. Givers to, end up dictating the way the church goes, right? And that's no way to run a church. No. All right. So the next one is this is a fun one. Um, so by God's grace through the power of the Holy Spirit to walk in holiness in all areas of life as an act of worship to Jesus Christ. Um, so far, so good. Um, mm-hmm. Believers should strive to put certain attitudes and actions to death while stirring and stimulating love and good deeds through the Spirit. Below are a few examples. Um, 
I will practice complete chastity unless married, and if married, complete fidelity within heterosexual monogamous marriage. Mm-hmm. Yep, hundred percent. Um, I will seek to preserve the gift of marriage and agree to walk through the steps of marriage reconciliation uh, before pursuing divorce for my spouse. Um, mm-hmm. Again, so far, I nothing. I have nothing wrong with either of those statements. I have nothing to. I feel like you're about to I, say something different. I would I would argue um, divorce is a very, very sensitive subject. Mm-hmm. And while I appreciate that they put it in the staff covenant, um, I would I would actually argue that if somebody is going through a divorce, they probably need to take a break from serving the church at that time. Yeah. Doesn't mean they can't come back, doesn't mean um, that they can't ever serve again. Yeah. But during that process, I think there should be a break in serving the church. Um, so I don't, I, that's really hard to flesh out. And I realize that is, what do you think about, and it's not in here. I don't think, no, it's not in here, but what do you think about people who have been, have been married and gotten divorced mm-hmm. and then want to come on the staff have, have interviewed for a position? Like where, where, what's the stance there? Yeah. Because so, Certain me personally, yeah. Um, I, I think I really think everything is case by case when it comes to divorce. Okay. Um, and I'll and I'll say this: the church that I serve at right now, um, one of our main teaching pastors has been divorced. Okay. Um, it happened a long time ago. Um, and and it was before he worked for our church, and it was a situation where, um, his wife at the time woke up one morning and said. Yeah, I don't really want to be married to you anymore. Whoop, out the door. Wow. And he he spent about three years trying to seek out, seek her out, and seek restoration, and and went through a long lamenting process mm-hmm. of divorce, and then uh, brought closure to that. Spent more time as a single man, and ended up meeting another lady, and now he's remarried and has uh, kids. Mm-hmm has no kids with the previous wife. Um, and so, I mean, they, they were really young when they got married. And so, right. but I say all that to say divorce for me is a very gray area because I know a lot of very godly people that have been divorced that I would trust more than some pastors that have not been divorced. Fair statement. Okay. So, you um, know, yeah, I mean, as, as I was, as you were talking, I was just thinking about it. I think you're right. Putting something like divorce in um in your covenant i understand where they're coming from and i understand you know Mm -hmm. you're not just gonna you're gonna commit to work out your marriage and and to stay committed because marriage is one man one woman for life Um, that's right you know biblically but in situations where our sinful flesh gets in the way and Mm -hmm. all that um i also think it's interesting here, here, here's where it's here's here's where the wording is interesting. Yeah, um, I will seek to preserve the gift of marriage and agree to walk through the steps of marriage reconciliation before pursuing divorce from my spouse. Yes, it doesn't, it, and it, that's it, actually it puts, what I appreciate. All, yeah, I mean, it, it puts all the responsibility on the person signing the covenant. That's and right. If the spouse, who is presumably not a staff member, mm-hmm. just ups and leaves one day. Then it doesn't hold this person accountable, exactly for that person's decision. Exactly, I do agree. And, with and you. It, I do agree with you that 
they need to be careful about that. Yeah. And if someone's going through a divorce or that situation where the spouse is just up and left or whatever, I think there needs to be some grace for that person to take some time mm-hmm. and not be committed to serving at the church. Yes. Um, but I don't know how you word that in a covenant. I, I, I don't that, know if yeah, you do. And that's, or, I don't know if you even you know, go down that road, you know? Yeah, it's it's tricky, and I appreciate I appreciate them putting that in there, and I I I, kind of, I understand where they're at. Their mm-hmm. their their goal is to keep um, a purity and an integrity on their church staff. Yep. that's the goal. And so I can I can understand it. I might have a little difference with it, and I might reward it a little differently. But at the end of the day, essentially, I agree with that that statement. Okay, so cool. All right, um, the next one. Yeah, I will. This, ref- this is fun. Yeah, this this is where <laughs> this is where we immediately say, you know what? We don't care about this anymore at all. Um, no. <laughs> so I will refrain from illegal drug use. Okay, mm-hmm. drunkenness. Okay, mm-hmm. gossip. And, Whoa now. And other sinful behavior, as the Bible dictates. This uh, and other sinful behavior um, to me reminds me of every job description that I've ever read. You have the things that you do, and the very last line is, and any other thing your supervisor deems necessary. Additional tasks <laughs> deemed necessary by the manager, yes. You um, know, so, that's so, what that reeks of. Well, and here's the thing. Who determines sinful behavior? Is this sinful going, behavior based on Scripture, or is this sinful behavior based on your senior pastor? I say, if you're going by the first line of the staff covenant, I would say that sinful behavior has to be dictated by Scripture, because Scripture, according to the staff covenant, is the final arbiter on all issues. Okay. okay. But, <laughs> but we also know how this works. This is true. Um, a lot of times you'll have people who see you gosh I, I i'm gonna vent a little bit sweet Do old it. sweet old lady on the staff at this church um when i got my first tattoo mm-hmm. which is of an ichthys jesus fish sinner the lady asked me if i was going to hell not surprised and i was like no <laughs> <laughs> I don't believe so. <laughs> I mean, I don't think so, but no. So it's like, you know, so does that little old lady determine sinful behavior? Or does Scripture determine it? Or does Scripture? Or, or does a staff member? Or does another staff member? And yeah. this lady was a staff member. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> That's even crazier. An old old lady staff member. So it's a... Uh, yeah. I, who determines sinful behavior? Yes, and I know what the paper says, mm-hmm. but what pra- who practically does exactly in reality? Yep, and and is there any different treatment for different staff members that are caught in sinful behavior as the Bible dictates? Or do you have? <laughs> is there any different treat? Is there different treatment for people caught in sinful behavior as an individual dictates? If the final arbiter is not Scripture. There, yeah. There's a whole lot of gray that just happened in this staff covenant right here. A yeah. whole lot of it. Which is, which, you know, if you go back to, and this is the reason we started with creeds and confessions, the point of creeds, confessions, uh, and statements of faith are to bring clarity, mm-hmm. not muddy the waters. 
And so if your if your creed or your confession muddies the water, then you have a problem. If yeah. your creed or confession brings clarity and says, "Ooh, nope, I understand exactly what you're talking about, and we need to separate right here. Yeah, we need to go a, a different path." I appreciate you as my brother in Christ, sister in Christ, but we need to separate because I see and I know exactly and I understand what you believe, and that's fine for you, but that's not fine for me. Right. And so so this statement right here muddies the water, and then if that's not bad enough, the very next statement makes it even worse. And so the next one says, because I am a leader, I will strive to live above reproach. I'm okay with that. My commitment to this level of holiness means that my spouse and I will refrain from the use of tobacco and alcohol while serving in this leadership capacity. That right there, that statement alone completely throws out the very first statement of the mm-hmm. of the staff covenant. Yep. It has it has nullified the first statement because at this point you are now saying that holiness is tied to not consuming alcohol, not consuming tobacco while you're on staff. And nowhere in Scripture will you ever find the argument that holiness is related to not consuming tobacco or alcohol. Yeah, it's almost like Scripture says that your holiness is tied to your walk with Jesus um, and much less to mm. what other things that the Bible is not clear on whether or not they're sinful. Yeah. Hmm. It's weird. Yes. It's, <laughs> and, it's and odd with you. If you actually the, use scripture as your foundation, if you're going to say you, here, here's my thing. When you read that first, when you read the very first one to submit to the authority of scripture as the final arbiter on all issues, mm-hmm. that should have been all this covenant had yeah. <laughs> that could have handled it all. Yeah. To pursue the Lord Jesus Christ through regular Bible reading. That's in Scripture. Like, yeah. spending time with Jesus is in Scripture. Regularly yeah. participating in ministry. That's in Scripture. Yes. Partaking the, the in the sacraments. Thing, it's all in Scripture. <laughs> the interesting part about this is that they listed 1 Timothy 3 and Titus 1, 5 through 9, which is the, um, that's the, the characteristics of a deacon, mm-hmm. is 1 Timothy, uh, and also in Titus 1 there. That That's basically the guidelines for who can serve as a deacon in the church. Mm-hmm. And so what's really funny to me is that a lot of churches would, and, and I know that this specific church is is a complementarian church, a lot of other churches would say that First uh, Timothy 3 and Titus 1, 5 through 9 says that women cannot be leaders in the church. They argue that from a complementarian. Now, I would disagree with that. Right. But they're they're here at this point, they're I mean, assuming that the staff member is a man, they're tying the woman to a leadership standard that those scripture verses say that they're not they can't even serve in. I mean, the the double standard in this is amazing. <laughs> we were doing so well until the last two bullet points. <laughs> Things were going so smoothly. It's, I mean, when it got gray, the the train came off the track really fast. Right. In in this thing, and and on, on another kind of sidestep from that is this person, assuming the person who is signing this is the staff member, you are holding a person who is presumably not a staff member. Mm-hmm 
to the confines of a staff member who is, they're not in, they haven't agreed to work for the church. Right. There's, they haven't agreed to say, I'm going to do this or I'm going to do that. There's, there's no agreement there. There's no commitment. There's not a, I mean, let's, covenant's a serious deal, right? Yes, it so, is. So, <laughs> I mean, if you're going to use the word covenant and you're expecting not only your staff member, whether it's a pastor or a worship leader or whatever, you're expecting that person, that man's wife or that woman's husband to also commit to these things when they may mm-hmm. be they may have a regular nine to five they that's they, right they may work for a beer distributor they may yeah. work for a tobacco <laughs> company they may work at the casino like they they may work at a restaurant where they have to serve alcohol yeah how in the world can you expect to hold them to that same standard it doesn't make so, sense and it's not consistent it's not consistent, and let let's to prove that it's not consistent. Let's play a little a little thought experiment here. Okay, oh, this these. is one these of my favorite. Fun. This it's one of my favorite things to do. So, let's say that today, according to this line, um, the use of tobacco and alcohol is prohibited. Okay. Okay. Six months from now, because your spouse and you have agreed to this, six months from now, somebody determines. Uh, somebody decides that uh, now if you are on staff, um, your spouse cannot work outside the home. Your spouse must be a homemaker because they believe that uh, the Bible teaches that the, the role of a spouse is to be in the home caring for the family while staff member is earning a living. Okay? Or... Maybe not go that far. Maybe they just say something like, well, as a staff member, we want your kids to be um, separated from the world. And so as a staff member here, you're not allowed to put your kids in public school because we want your kids to be trained and taught differently. You're describing a cult. That's exactly what I'm describing. Okay, just make it just making sure I'm following and, what you're doing. And what you get when you get this line of logic and this line of reasoning is a never and and you can say, Anthony, that's ridiculous. That's a slippery slope fallacy. Okay, maybe it is. Maybe it's not though. You know, yeah. maybe it is a slippery slope, but maybe it's not. What I mean, when you step outside the bounds of Scripture on one thing, what's going to stop you from stepping outside the bounds of Scripture on something else? Yeah. So Mm. this line specifically, I have a major issue with, and I do not believe it should be in any staff covenant because, number one, churches should not have authority over somebody else's spouse. Period. End of story. If you disagree with me, Call me up and we'll have a discussion about it. Right. Because I do not believe that is biblical and it does not put scripture as the final authority. It puts a man centered ideology about what they believe as their final authority and they're trying to dictate, control, and micromanage people's lives with statements like that. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I'm right. I don't know. But I I've take serious issue with those kinds of statements. Yeah. The, micro, so. the micromanagement thing is is the biggest kicker for me. Mm-hmm. It's because you're basically saying we know that your spouse is their own person, but we don't really care. Yeah. 
That, that, exactly. I mean, that, that's really, that's really, <laughs> I mean, that's really what they're saying here, you know? Yep. And I, I fully believe that if I had brought this home and given it to my wife and, you know, showed it to my wife and say, this is what they're asking us to do. She would have mm-hmm. been like, no, because of this right <laughs> if, here. If I'd have showed it to my wife, she'd have been like, uh, you turned in your two week notice, right? <laughs> yeah. That's what she would have been like. I mean, so it's, um, <sighs> yeah, any, any time, and I, I would say this with any entity, not just churches, but like any time yeah. a business, anytime your church, you know, you're on church staff or whatever, anytime someone is trying to control or manipulate what happens or how people who don't even work for them act, I, I feel like that's a big red flag that something right. needs to change. That's yeah, and, absolutely. And I, I totally. I I mean, I understand where they're coming from. You don't want the wife of your pastor out drunk. Yeah, getting boozed up at the bars every weekend. You you don't want that happening. You don't. But mm-hmm. there's also nothing unbiblical about the wife of your pastor or your pastor for that matter having a glass of wine with dinner or no, there's not enjoying a drink. You know, there's. So, or even enjoying, I mean, has anyone ever enjoyed a cigarette, but like enjoying a cigar yeah. or a pipe, you know, <laughs> like, so there's, cigarettes th- are gross. <laughs> there's nothing unbiblical about those things. Right. So I don't know. I'm, I'm with you. It, that, that, that's a, that's a very difficult one that would have been, if not impossible nearly impossible and i would have fought tooth and nail over yeah over this line so the the other question again to go back what i built on earlier what happens to um high up staff members wife who is seen consuming alcohol in public versus low person on the totem poles wife who is seen consuming alcohol in public are those two people treated the same are those two staff members treated the same they or should, does one get a pass because they're high up? They should be treated the same, but you and I mm-hmm. both know from experience that that's not the case. That's true. That is absolutely true. That, so the, stand, the rules for thee are not for me. <clears throat> yes. And if you're going to put something in a staff covenant and require your people, then you should you should be able to enforce it and live by it from the very highest person on your staff down to the janitor on your staff. And when that person, when people step out of line, discipline everyone equally and accordingly. Mm-hmm. That's right. If there's, I don't know what the discipline is. Like, yeah, they, what, there's no discipline listed out in this in this covenant that was sent to us. So is it like a slap on the hand, or is it like a? I don't turn know. In your but if you, <laughs> but if you don't do the same thing with both staff members, then you're a hypocrite. Yeah, agreed. So. We beat that horse for a, for a few minutes. You, you can tell where our passion was on this thing when when we read it. That um, is, I mean, that got really, <laughs> really deep, really fast. So the <clears throat> the next one is kind of tied to it um, mm-hmm. because the next one is to refrain from such activities that the scriptures would deem foolish. Again, um, what are they? De- I think it's interesting that they listed the end of Romans uh, Romans fourteen here because. In in that passage of scripture, nothing is actually deemed foolish. It's just talking about the con, the consuming of meat um, and and drink, uh, sacrifice to idols and pagan. And if it causes your brother to stumble, you know um, this this goes back to the stumbling block thing that we've talked about on here uh, mm-hmm. 
significantly. So I, I, I don't understand why they would put that in here after what they just said because it right. seems like it's redundant. Yeah, and then speaking and, of, and then speaking of redundant, the next one is to take seriously the responsibility of Christian freedom, <laughs> especially actions or situations that could present a stumbling block to another. I believe that's what they call a paradox. <laughs> yeah. So, um, I don't know. It's the the. This thing went right off the rails here for for the next few. Um, it was it was going so well. It was the, it was doing the, so good. Now the train is <laughs> off the bridge. In, let's let's see if ravine. we can bring it. See if we can bring it back. Um, to submit to discipline of God through His Holy Spirit by following the biblical procedures uh, of discipline uh, where sin is evident. And this one, I don't I don't really have an issue with that one. Receiving righteous and loving discipline uh, when approached by. A, uh, biblically by a fellow brother and believers. And I actually, I actually appreciate that one because they mentioned the Matthew 18 mm-hmm. passage here. Yeah. And, and I, I do think that there has to be a biblical approach to rec- to discipline. Um, but discipline, and I've said this before, discipline should always seek restoration. Yeah. And if it's not discipline that seeks restoration, then it's not correct biblical discipline. Yeah. So the, the problem is you can have this written down, but if you don't follow through with it, then that yeah in instances where where discipline needs to happen or you know whatever mhm if you don't follow through with it then these are just empty words on a page they're empty words and it makes you a hypocrite yep so don't be a hypocrite um, don't be a hypocrite um to do the following when i sin this is an interesting one um one confess my sin to God and to fellow believers to repent and seek help to put my sin to death. I thought this was a really interesting because I don't feel like this needs to be in a staff covenant. I feel like this is the responsibility of every Christian. Yeah. And if you're a practicing Christian, like number two, bullet point number two said, you should be doing that in your life. And so there's no reason to enumerate this as a, as a point, a bullet point on this staff covenant. It feels like they're just trying to fill space Possibly. On a page. Also, the whole confess my sin to God, yes, and to fellow believers. How necessary is that one? Like, well, I mean, I uh, mean, if you're if it's a sin against that person, if it's anger, yeah, stealing, if, like if if it if it's one of those, then yes, but yeah, I I I am of the camp that confession is good for the soul, and mm-hmm. so and, and what that. To me, what that doesn't mean is that you go and confess your sin to, you know, walk up to a staff meeting and be like, hey, everybody, I want you guys to know that I told seven lies. Um, I gossiped three times last week. Uh, you know, is I don't think it has to be like that, but I think there is that one person in your life, and it could be your spouse. It could yeah. be um, your your discipleship group partner. We talked about discipleship last accountability week. Accountability partner, yeah. Accountability partner. You know, there is that person in your life who knows those intimate details. Yeah. And so it does not have to be broadcast to the world, and not everybody has to know. And the church should not even know, To I mean, to be brutally honest. Right. Not everyone on staff needs to know that you confessed to your brothers and what you confessed and how yeah. you confessed and what was your attitude while you confessed. And, you know, and that's why I think this sentence, because it, it it just reeks of showmanship. Yeah. Uh to me, you know, you confess to God and you confess to believers and then you repent and seek out help. And um like but like you, know, you said, if you're a believer, like back at the top, mm-hmm. doing all this already. You should already be doing all this. Yep. If you're not, then you're not in a biblically grounded 
discipleship group at a church, whole nother gamut of problems. Yep. That we covered last week. Yep. Um, to submit to the pastors and other appointed leaders of the church and diligently strive for unity and peace within the church. This is an interesting one to me because this is the one that allows staff, lead staff, high up staff, executive staff, whatever you want to call them, um, to really put the pressure onto lower staff. Yeah. When they say things like, you're not promoting unity in the church. What do you mean I'm not promoting unity in the church? Um, or they will put pressure on lower staff members to handle a problem that doesn't necessarily need to be handled by a lower staff member. It might need to be handled by an upper staff member. Yeah. Um, you know, uh, one example that I can think of um, was was when a decision was made um, and it was handed down. The decision was made by upper staff and it was basically put on lower staff to inform everybody and let everybody know that this decision had been made. Yeah. And, and so, you know, me being the person that I am, I said, sure, I will gladly say that senior staff has made this decision and, and I'll tell everybody, no, you can't do that. What do you mean I can't do that? Yeah. You, you have, you can't say that senior staff made this decision. Why can't I say senior staff made this decision? You know, and it was said to me, you need to protect senior staff. No, I don't need to protect senior staff. Right. That's not my job. <laughs> right. I didn't sign anything saying I was going to protect senior. They made the decision. They're the ones that are going to live with their decision. Right. You know, and I, I, I was not asked about it. They didn't ask for my opinion. They didn't ask for my thoughts. And, you know, yeah. if they would have asked for my thoughts and I gave them and then they said, you know, we appreciate your thoughts, but we okay, that's fine. Yeah. I had a part in that. Yeah. They're the, I think the, I, the, my biggest issue with that whole thing is like you have pastors and other appointed leaders of the church is how it's worded here. Mm-hmm. They will make decisions, but don't really care what the ramifications of those decisions no. are. Like, like the situation. I know exactly what you're talking about right there. Yeah, they didn't care <laughs> how it affected your team for you to tell the people that that decision had been made, and there yeah. wasn't really an explanation for why. There wasn't really yeah. <laughs> there wasn't really anything like that. But they didn't really care about what it did to you and your team. They just wanted it to be done. Yeah, and because no one could challenge upper staff or senior staff, however you want to call mm-hmm. it, because no one could challenge them on that because there's like this uh, walls, this palace wall around them where you couldn't get to them. <laughs> you know, since since there was none of that. My key card didn't work up there. Yeah. I mean, Sorry. Th- but so there was no, but there's no outlet for you to go say, I don't think this is a good decision and here are the reasons why. Yeah. And if you can give me a good reason why. Mm-hmm. Then we can have the discussion, but until then, I'm not. May, I am not being the one to communicate this yeah. to my team. You guys can come do it. Yeah. Or if you want me to communicate this to my team, sure, I'll gladly tell them that y'all made this decision. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I don't mind be. I don't mind being the messenger. Right. But you know, but, you, because, but you're gonna. Me- but you want to be the messenger of the truth, and you don't. You don't want to exactly be the right. ones that have to protect somebody. Exactly. For whatever BS reason there is. Yes. That's if I, exactly if right. I can if I can say that I don't know if I can but I just did so <laughs> you did and I'm not bleeping it out either well there's nothing um, to bleep out it's just letters <laughs> um. 
No, he so, said bull snarky. He he sure did. Okay, <laughs> and so so this last the last point on the covenant here um, to do the following: Should I leave the church for righteous reasons? Notify the appropriate staff member to seek another church with which I can carry out my biblical responsibilities as a believer. I actually don't have a problem with that final one. Who is the appropriate staff member? Uh, maybe what are, the what person right, you report to. And what are righteous reasons? Um, I mean, I could I could think about a hundred at at this point in the st- I mean, <laughs> you guys are unscriptural. <laughs> you're you're hypocritical. I've highlighted the points of my of the covenant that I are leading to my uh, me leaving, but you've highlighted the whole covenant. Yes, <laughs> basically. Um, yeah. No, I mean, I, again, this thing this feels redundant. Yeah. Um, this feels like it's a it's a CYA type of situation. Right. Um, you know, you didn't do this, and so they could deny you some benefit or something like that. Yeah. That's that's honestly that's the way this reads. <laughs> and then okay, so we did all this, and now the. the I, I I know I said that was the final point. I know like most most of that last point, good, mm-hmm. couple of gray area issues, but you know righteous. What's the righteous reason? Who's the right person? Whatever. But then the very last thing before you write your name and sign it by signing below, I submit to follow the Baptist Faith and Message two thousand and the Constitution mm-hmm. and bylaws of mm-hmm. this church and live in accordance with this leadership covenant. So are we following scripture? Are we following the Baptist faith and message? <laughs> or are we following the Constitution and bylaws? Like, which oh man, is it? so much stuff. So, um, you know, I I can somewhat understand that statement um, because you what you do is you put um, you put in order. You're saying that you agree on primary, secondary, and tertiary issues, and the primary issues would be, you know, we we agree that the that scripture is the final authority. Okay. Mm-hmm. The secondary issue would be, you know, we agree to the Baptist faith and message. You know, this church clearly adheres to the Baptist faith and message. Yep. Um, so if you if you are in agreement with the Baptist faith and message, I think you wouldn't have an issue signing that. Right. Um if you don't agree with the Baptist faith and message, then number one, I would argue that you probably don't need to be on staff at that church. Or, um, you you don't need to be in any Southern Baptist church because that's what a Southern Baptist church believes. And if you're yeah. going to be a member of a church, then you need to be able to subscribe to the you know confession of faith or statement of faith that that church holds to. Which yep. this one, you know, they hold to the Baptist faith message. The Constitution and bylaws is an interesting one um, because that's where a lot of churches um, get a lot of their operating power from. Um, and so I kind of understand it. I, you know, I, and it's a tertiary thing. And, and I think, and this is where it gets down to, you know what? I don't agree with your constitution and bylaws. So I'm going to go find another, you know, Southern Baptist church that believes in the Baptist faith and message that I do agree with their constitution and bylaws. Mm -hmm. Um, so this really puts you into a, we want to make sure that you agree with us on primary, secondary, and tertiary issues. Uh, um, you know, maybe they give you a little bit of leeway in the Constitution bylaws where you say, you know, I don't agree with this certain thing, but it's not an important matter. And I can still say that, you know, I can do fellowship with you 
knowing that you affirm it and I don't. Right. You know, and so I kind of understand it. I uh, I do think that it's interesting that they put it all in there um, to be a staff member. Um, and, you know, because, again, it goes back to what we asked, who all is signing this? If this is limited to people who are pastors, um, integral staff for Sunday, you know, church events, Sunday worship, things like that. Mm-hmm. If it's limited to that, then then okay, I can understand that. But if they're asking the janitor to sign this, I think it's ridiculous. You yeah. know, if they're asking the the you know Billy Bob who comes up two times a week and cuts the grass, and that's all he does at the church to sign this, I think it's ridiculous. Yeah, you know, um, and, and and I mean, where do you draw the line? You know, if if you hire, you know, if you bring in, if you contract out like a cleaning company. To come clean yeah. your office, are they expected to live? Are they expected to sign this because they technically exactly. work for the church? Or, or better yet, you know, let's think of things that that some church members or some churches have staff members for, and other churches don't. Mm-hmm. What if you subcontract out things like, um, you know, uh, your graphics on Sunday morning or your videos that that the church has done? Um, are you requiring your subcontractors to do this? Right. Or is this a deal where a staff member would have to sign this, but a subcontractor would not have to sign it, but you're still using that subcontractor's work on Sunday morning? Yeah. You know, in a Sunday service, you're using that video that they produced or using those graphics or, um, whatever, you know, they, maybe, yeah. they, you know, the sound system or, so, you know, whatever it is. Um, where do you draw the line? at who is who is held to this this standard. Right. Um, you know, if you say that people who are involved on Sunday service, well, if you're contracting a a person to do your graphics and that person doesn't sign this, do you quit using that that person for your graphics? Yeah. You know? Um I, I think you could get a again, I, I think that staff covenants and statements of faith should be clarity bringing. Mm-hmm. And when they begin to do nothing but muddy waters, I think they become ineffective, yeah, and useless. And and at that point, you have to reevaluate whether or not it's even helpful in its present form. That's exactly right. Well, so all that to say, um, this this particular covenant was doing really well. It started strong, man. It did. It started real strong, but when it when it went bad, it went bad real fast. <laughs> um, and I don't know. I, I I don't really know where I stand on the idea of staff covenants. Like I do believe that mm-hmm. your church staff should be held to a, a there should be a standard there. Um, but I also think that whatever that standard is, you should be able to fully explain clearly through scripture and not just like we've mm-hmm. talked about like we've talked about a couple times tonight this gets kind of this is very murky in some areas mm-hmm. because they're using scripture that doesn't necessarily apply to the point that they're talking about they're trying to use scriptures talking about one thing to apply it to something else um which isn't helpful and like you said staff covenants confessions all that kind of th- those things need to just be very clear. Yeah. I think they do. And, you know, do, where, where do I fall on staff covenants? I think that, I think, I think they can be beneficial, 
but I think they have to be very, very limited. Yeah. Um, you know, and I, I understand that in today's society, you almost have to like spell out everything and, and label everything and, you know, call everything. And maybe that's where some of those statements came from, uh, is an effort to, to attempt mm -hmm. to be clear. Um, but at, at the end of the day, if all you do is muddy the waters, then you're not doing anybody any favors. Right. And so, you know, if you agree to a staff covenant, may, you know, I would say that uh, more than a staff covenant, you know, maybe something like an employee handbook, you know, yeah. think about the way businesses do it. Yeah. This is what's expected of your job. This is what's expected of you as an employee. Um, if you want to put some scripture, you know, put the scripture in there that says, you know, we, we basically expect you to be a person of integrity, character, um, and, and act the way scripture yeah. teaches you to yeah. act, then, then I'm okay with that. I agree with but that. But if you start, when you start naming certain things is when you always muddy the waters. Yeah. And so, you know, I think there are some things that we have to be very clear on as Christians that that the vast majority of Christians believe, you know, um, I I would argue that you can't have a homosexual pastor, um, you know. I think it, that Scripture is very clear about mm -hmm. homosexuality, and so, um, and I think you can paint that picture pretty clearly. Um, scripture is not very clear on consumption of alcohol. In fact. It, it leaves it very, very open-ended. And so to put something like the consumption of alcohol in your staff covenant doesn't seem to be doing any favors. Yeah. So, well, that's that. Ooh. Their staff covenants, creeds, confessions. That's our take on all that right there. Um, hope that was helpful. Um, I know it's something that Michael and I have talked about for a couple of weeks now, and we've kind of debated uh doing this because it was this was sent to us a while back and and mm -hmm. you know it, i think it's pretty evident where where we took some issue with with the statement um but when we saw this and we read it we were like is this this can't be real <laughs> you know um this <laughs> and you know upon further review it was a very real thing so um yeah. we just felt like it was important to dissect this particular one um mm -hmm. And kind of just break down where we had issues with it. And if you disagree with anything that we talked about tonight, we'd love to hear from you and um, mm -hmm. have those discussions with you guys. So, absolutely. Well, Michael, you want to pray for us tonight? Is it my turn or your turn? I'll pray again. Do I'll it. Mind. I'll pray. All right, uh, dear Lord, thank you for today. Thank you for this discussion on covenants. I hope that it's been. Um, on staff covenants, God. I hope that has been beneficial. I uh, hope that we have honored you and with our words and um, have edified the body of Christ, God. I pray that you uh, use the discussion that these two clowns had tonight um, to uh, to open up further discussions on on staff covenants and um, where there are issues um, that can't be backed up with Scripture, God. I pray that you just make those very clear and. Um, God, I pray that you uh, just help us all to um, be more like you, to be more like Jesus um, in how we interact with each other, how we uh, serve our churches, serve our communities, um, how we do our work, how we treat, how we um, serve our families. God, I pray that you 
Just help us to be more like you each day, God. Um, thank you for your great love for us. Thank you for um, just the work that you're doing um, in Anthony and in my heart. And I, I pray that in the hearts of everyone who hears this, who listens to our podcast, God, I just pray that um, you're doing a mighty work um, that can only be from you. And uh, God, we can't wait to see what the future holds for us. And um, God, we just trust you um, with whatever that is. And um, God, we thank you for um, just another opportunity to get together and discuss uh, who you are and, um, and and what you've done for us. So uh, Jesus, we love you. Pray you watch over our us and our families and keep us all safe and healthy. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Whew. Man. All right. Well, Anthony, that was fun. It was fun. <laughs> um, Anthony, if our listeners want to find the Beers and Bible podcast on social media, where would they do so? They would do that on Instagram at Beers and Bible underscore, on Twitter at Beers and Bible P1, on Facebook by searching Beers and Bible Podcast. And you can find us uh, on our email at Beers and Bible Podcast at gmail.com. Yes. On any and all of those, you can reach out to us if you have any questions or concerns or take issue with anything we've talked about tonight or in any other episode. We'd love to um, open up those discussions with you. Or if you have any beer reviews um, or any beers for us to review. I always say that wrong. If you have any (laughs) beers for us that you would like for us, any beers that you would like for us to review. There it is. Suggest the words. There, there are the words. Um, suggest those there, and we'll do our best to to get our hands on those and give you a shout out on the podcast. So that's right. Pew pew pew. Well, until next week, we hope your beer stays cold and your Bible stays open, and we will see you later. Peace out. <laughs>